This has been a great day, Great Oaks. Uh, first service, we had a huge crowd and like this and baptized, I think, as many or maybe another one or two extra. Uh, so, And we actually have, uh, if, if today it kind of motivated you to think maybe that's your next step, we have baptism scheduled, as I guess you saw on the little video clip that I did on January 24th, or at somewhere along the way, we, we had that. January 24th is our next baptism. And uh, so we already have about eight people who couldn't do it this time that want to be baptized then as well. So uh, just let you put heads up for that as well. What a great day. A lot of great uh, testimonies and some things that God is doing in, in their lives. We are in week six of a seven-week series called Transformed. The key verse for this series has been a verse out of, out of Romans 12, 2, which says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, we've been talking about this for several weeks, uh, but each week we've talked about a different area of transformation, that God is interested in spiritual transformation. He's interested in our lives and physical transformation. He's interested in mental transformation, emotional transformation. Last week, a relational this week, we're going to talk about something else, which I'll get to in just a minute. But I first want to go back and kind of say, hey, every week we've given information from the Bible. And that's great stuff. You know, I mean, it's good stuff that God's Word has for us, and God's interested in all these areas. But it's kind of like this deal. Uh, <clears throat> you know what this is, guys? I'm, girls, you know what this is. Guys don't have a clue. Um, this is actually a spray-on uh, SPF 50 uh, sunblock spray. And this is for faces, continuous protection, 55, uh, oil-free, non-greasy, waterproof. Okay, all these things are good. Uh, my wife gave these to me about five years ago. Um, and uh, she said, put these in your golf bag, and when you go play golf, put them on, because it works. So I had the information, okay? And I actually had the, these in hand. Okay, I, I hate to tell you this, and my wife is here in this service, so this is a confession to her. But she knew it already. Um, I've had these in my bag. I might have used them twice in five years because they're almost full. And, and, and she always knows because I come back from playing golf and uh, my face is bright red, my neck's red, my ears are glowing, and I wear a hat so my head at least is not you know, on, on top as well. But the deal is this. It's kind of, go, go to the, go to the uh, next slide. Um, it's kind of like this. Information, if you don't apply it, I should have put it's useless. But information plus application actually would transform my face and my life if I would just put the stuff on. And over the last several weeks, as we've talked about all these things that God has given to us, all these things that he wants to transform us physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, it's great information. But unless we apply it to our lives, there will be no transformation. Because information plus application equals transformation. So I hope that each week as we look at this, you're going like, yeah, that was great stuff. You need to go home and forget about it. I hope you don't do that. I hope you actually begin to struggle with it. I, I just don't believe, just don't say, oh, Pastor Bill said this. So, no, the Bible says this. Go study it yourself and then apply it to your lives. So we want to talk about that. Now, today, I want to talk about another area that God wants to transform us in. And this is a tough area sometimes that it happens. And it's in the area called, uh, God wants to transform us in our financial life. And the reason he wants to transform us there is because, uh, let me just tell you why. Did you know that the Bible talks more about money and, and, and possessions 
than it does about heaven, hell, faith, and prayer combined. It talks more about money and material possessions than all those. Would you think all those things, prayer and faith and all those things are important? Yeah. But the Bible talks more about money than any, all those things combined. And when you look at Jesus' teaching, his parables, the, the primary teachings he did through parables, over half of his parables deal with material possessions. And the reason I believe that Scripture talks so much about it is because money has a tremendous power and influence in our life. And if you don't manage money, it will cause you some problems. It will manage you. It will cause you stress and heartache. Don't raise your hands, but let me just ask and think in your head, how many of you this week have, have thought about money at all? How many of you have stressed about money this week? How many of you have spent money this week? Okay, I got all of you. Okay. The deal is, all of us, money is part of our lives, right? But it's something if we don't get a handle on. Today, I'm not going to tell you how to, everything about how to manage your money so much as I am about the attitudes we need to have about money. And there's this really great passage, this really great passage that's so confusing if we allow it to be. In, in Luke chapter 16, that we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 16, which is whatever translation of Scripture that you need to pull up and, and whatever, I'm going to be reading from NIV. It's not going to be on the screen, but I am going to refer back to several of the verses during the message today. But I want to read it as we start off. It's called the parable, uh, some people call it the parable of the shrewd manager. This is what it says. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. You're fired, basically, is what he said. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. This guy's very honest. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. He says, I'm not strong enough to go out and do manual labor, and, and I'm too proud to go out and beg, so I have a problem. I don't know what I'll do. No, he didn't say He says, I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job, which is inevitable here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450, half the bill. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800, a 20% reduction. The master commended it. Now, this is interesting. The master, after this guy does this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then he says this, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's the verse that really gives us a lot of problems we'll talk about. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I will, to be honest with you, when most of us read that, that parable, we get, man, that's a weird parable. 
I mean, it seems in some ways, if we didn't understand the, the, the context and the, and the bigger picture here, it would seem that, that Jesus was praising this guy's dishonesty. Because in the parables, usually what it is is the, the master is Jesus or God, and we are, and we are the, the servant or whatever role that's played there, and so are, we are generally that kind of person. But the, the reality is this. Jesus did not praise the man's dishonesty. What did he praise? He praised the man's shrewdness. Shrewdness. We're going to talk about that. He uses, in a fact, in a matter of fact, here, Jesus uses a clever crook as an example. See, the deal is this: we, you and I, can learn something from almost anybody if we'll have our mind open. So often we think that you have to believe everything we believe or, or think the way we think, and we can't learn anything from them. The reality is this: let me give you an example. You know, if if I need heart surgery, which I hope I don't, if I need heart surgery and I go to a surgeon. The first thing I ask him is not, not going to be, tell me your belief system. Uh, what is your theology? Uh, uh, tell me your lifestyle. What's the first question I'm going to ask a heart surgeon? Have you done this before? You know, I mean, are you, are, are you qualified? How, how good are you at this? And I'm going to do my research to find that out. I won't know anything about their lifestyle. I won't know anything about their theology. But the reality is, in that case, I can learn, I can be, that person could be useful in my life. And so Jesus is saying, hey, in this parable, this person doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to agree with everything he does. But I want to teach you some truths that, that will help you to understand how to relate to resources in your life. And, and, and there's two reasons, in a sense, that Jesus told this parable. Because he had a, a kind of a varied audience here. The, the one part of the audience was a group of people called Pharisees, religious teachers. It tells us that in verses 14 and 15, following this passage I just read. This was 1 through 13 I just read. In verses uh, uh, 14 and 15 of Luke 16, it says, right after it tells this parable, it says this, the Pharisees dearly loved money. So when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him. But Jesus told them, you're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what is in your heart. The things, this is the highlight, the things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. So he's speaking to these guys, these religious leaders who were always putting down Jesus. He, that was part of the audience there. And he's teaching them some truths, which they probably didn't get. But the other audience, which really, which really relates to us, the other part are people who were believers. And the reason he teaches us this here, he sees all these people and he, he realizes this. And he knows this, he, God knows all things. He knows this, that m- many believers, maybe I should say most believers, are poor money managers. At least many believers are poor money managers. It says in Luke 16, 8, it says, we just read a while ago, it's the bigger picture. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. A few years ago, we went through this whole process here. And if you were here a few years ago at Great Oaks, we went through the whole church. We actually did our Dave Ramsey series. You probably heard of Dave Ramsey. He's the financial piece, uh, the whole deal. And we've, we continue to have classes on that all the time. It's a great, it's a great tool, you know. And it's amazing when you look at what Dave Ramsey teaches, nothing is brain surgery. It is like so basic, it's ridiculous. And it's amazing that, you know, we, can, we don't get it already. But the reality is, the reason that Jesus is teaching us this here is that so many people of the light, people who are followers of Christ, are poor money managers. We have no emergency fund. You know, when we get to, if we think about losing our job, where you, go, you freak out because you don't have enough things built into your life. You, you may not have little, little for retirement. I'm getting to kind of that age where I'm starting to think about that kind of stuff, you know. 
Uh, I, I started reading books on, uh, I, got, I read one recently called The New Retirementality. You're going, isn't that a cool book? You're going to be like, no, I'm not even close to that. I don't care. You know? No, but you will if you're not there yet. You will care. And I'm also reading a book on Social Security right now. You're going like, wow, that is incredibly fantastic stuff. But it's, I want to know about it. It's Social Security for dummies, basically, is what it is. But, I, but I'm reading these things because I understand, you know, I need to be prepared. But in reading this and looking at st- statistics, it's amazing how many Americans have little or nothing, little or nothing saved for something that's inevitable. Well, it's not always inevitable. You either get old or you die, one of the two. So, uh, you know, it's just the way it works. And so the deal is, is we don't do that. Or so many people live paycheck to paycheck. Or they're deeply in debt. Do you know that, that money is the number one cause of divorce by far? It's the catalyst that causes most people to have conflict in their relationships. So money's a big deal. And believers don't do a whole lot better job at, at it than, than non-believers. So this, this, message, this message here... Um, this message is not about giving, okay? So you can kind of calm down. Pastor Bill's not going to teach about giving today, you know, because I do, unashamedly. But the reality is today I'm not going to talk about giving. I'm going to talk about our attitudes and our use of money because that is the thing that God wants to transform first, our attitudes and our use of money. And in this passage, God didn't approve of man, the manager's dishonesty, but he approved of his shrewdness. Now, what is shrewdness? That's a weird word. We don't use that too often. But what is shrewdness? Shrewdness is this. It means, let me give you a definition. It means keen awareness. It means smart, strategic, and resourceful thinking. It means seeing the problem clearly, knowing what needs to be done, and figuring out how to do it. That's what shrewdness is. In regarding money, God wants you to use and learn biblical shrewdness. So today what I want to do in the time that we have here, I want to talk about three things not to do with your money that this passage teaches us about. And four things, four truths to remember about money that will set the groundwork, the foundation for us in how we look at and use the money in our life. Not just what we give to God, okay? God's not just interested in you giving a 10% to him. He's interested in 100%. He's interested in every penny that you make in your life, and you understand why when we look at this passage. Okay, three things really quickly. What Three things that the passage says what not to do with money. Number one, don't waste it. Don't waste it. It says it clearly. Uh, verse 1, 1B, the rich man was told that the manager was doing what? He was wasting his money. He was wasting his money. He says that in life so often, yeah, and we'll understand why in a minute. We can waste money in all kinds of ways, frivolous ways. When we spend money just simply on ourselves without thinking of anybody else, we're wasting money. When we have a short-term view of life without thinking long-term, we're wasting money. That's what the Bible tells us clearly. Number two, another thing not to do with money, don't trust it for security. Don't trust it for security. The manager learned this one pretty quickly in here in the story. It says in verse 3, it says, The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. And so he's going like, you know, if he trusted for money and security, he's going like, man, I'm not going to have money tomorrow, so I've got to do something. I have to have plan B. I love what it says in Proverbs 23, 5. It says this, Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. That's a picture of money. Here today, gone tomorrow. And if you place all your security just in money, in money alone, 
then you have a problem. Don't trust it for security. And number three, don't love it or live for it. Don't love it or live for it. Verse 13 is a key pass, a key part of the verse. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, it's, what he's saying here, it's impossible to live with a divided allegiance. The heart of the problem is the heart. And God wants your heart. And so I must choose what, what I'll love most in life. Am I going to love God most? Am I going to do what, have his priorities, by, which means I'll love people? Or is money going to be? You know, God tells me that, that my priority should be to love people and use money. But so often in life, we love money and use people. And so we have to be careful. The choice is always between God and money, and it's easy for money to become a God, a little g, in our lives. So, what are some things, truths about money that will help us to, um, to use it in a way to have the right attitudes that God wants to do to transform our lives? Let me give you four countercultural truths about money. And I believe if you remember and act, if you put them on, it'll work. But just, just learning here today this stuff and going home and going, that was great, it won't do anything for your life. Okay? Okay. Truth number one, it all belongs to God. That is about as countercultural as you can get. Because culture says, even I've heard many Christians say this, well, I worked hard for it, it's mine. Let me ask you, before you had it, where, where, whose was it? Somebody else's. You know, I mean, the reality is that, let's go all the way back to creation. Who created everything? God did. It was his from day one. And God could have been an ogre and said, I know, you can't have anything. But no, what did he do? He said, no, be fruitful, multiply, and manage, and be a steward, a manager of all the stuff that I've, I've made for you. It was all God's to start off with. And when you leave this earth... It won't be yours anymore either. The Pharaohs learned this. They thought that they could, uh, you know, take it all with them, literally, you know. And so they not only took their money and their resources, they took some of their slaves into the tomb. Man, it had to be horrible to be a slave for a, for a Pharaoh because, you, you know, he dies, you die. But if you go to the Pharaoh's tombs today, the ones that haven't been looted, guess what? You'll find everything still there, just like it was, probably decayed a little bit many years ago. It all belongs to God. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, There was once a rich man who had a servant, that's us, who did what? Managed his property. He didn't own anything. He managed his property. In this, in this, in this uh, proverb, Jesus uh, is saying, you know, we are simply managers of God's stuff. So the question is, if God owns everything, the question for us is this, if we're a follower of Christ, how well are you taking care of God's property? How well are you taking care of God's property? Because that's the important thing. Because you really don't own anything. God owns it all. It wasn't yours before you were born. It won't be yours after you die. We just get to use it for a little while. It's all on loan. In a sense, we are all in management. You're going like, man, I hate managing. I do too. I do too. Okay, I'll just be honest. I hate managing. Do you hate managing stuff? Some of you are managers and you hate managing. <laughs> right? You know, I don't like managing at all. I like leading. Managing is drudgery. But God says we're all in management. That's what stewardship is, managers of God's stuff. And one of the things if we begin to realize that it's all God's, it kind of decreases our worry. 
Because when we think it's all us and it all depends upon us, what do we do? We worry about it all the time. You know, when we lose it, when we get it. I mean, how many of you, how many of you in the last few days have, have looked at the, looked at your quarterly statement from your retirement fund or your 401k or your, or your, uh, or your, uh, whatever, uh, you know, I, I got, I get one quarterly for my stuff, all the stuff that I, you know, put into for retirement. And I looked at it the other day and I'm going like, oh, why did I look at that thing? Because it was horrible. This last quarter, the average person lost at least 6% minimum. It's been a bad quarter, okay? I understand it's turning around the day, so I'm really happy. No, I'm not, I don't care because I know it's long term. It's long term thinking. So the reality is, see, it's all on loan. It's all online. So number one, it all belongs to God. That's the first thing we have to get in our mind before anything else because that sets the table for everything else God wants to teach us about money and how we approach it. It's all, it's all belongs to God. Number two, the second truth to remember is this. One day, I'll give an account to God. Now, don't raise your hand, but I mean, probably some of you have been audited before by something called the IRS. Was that a pipe? I, I have never ha happened to me. I hope it never happens to me because I understand every time you do that, you just break out in sweats. And you, even if you've done everything right, you just get all nervous and you go, oh, they're going to find something. You know, so I mean, getting audited does not sound like a really cool thing. I mean, how many of us, you know, audited or go to the dentist? I don't know which two, you know, I'm, I can't think of either one, you know, neither one sounds very good to me, you know. But the, but the reality is, it says one day I'll give an account to God. Our life, will have a life audit. It says in verse 2, it says, So he called him in, the master called him in and said, What is this I hear about you? Hand in a complete account of your handling of my property because you cannot be my manager any longer. See, God has entrusted us with assets. And he expects, expects us to manage those in such a way that when we come to the end of our days and he does the audit, he'll go, well done. Well done. Now, we're not going to do it perfectly, but he's talking about the direction of our life. And so when we understand, number one, it belongs to God, all belongs to God. Number two, God's going to audit, in a sense, he could give an account for what we've done, not to get us into heaven, okay? But to deal with the whole thing of, of how we've lived our life for him, then in a real sense what happens is it changes the way we see our assets and the things that we, that we have from God. Truth number three. Truth number three, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Verse 9 says it this way, I tell you, you use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This verse has caused more problems for more people because they're looking at it and they're going like, does that mean that you can buy your way into heaven? Does that mean that, that, that you, know, you know, if I do a bunch of stuff, God will love me more? That goes against everything else the Bible says, right? Because the Bible says that salvation is not something we earn, but it's something that God gives us through something called grace, unmerited favor. It's free. It's not about purchasing salvation. So what does it mean? Well, let's look a little bit further. Some people look at this too and are going like it says, use this, this, this point, money is a tool to be used for, for God's purposes. And some people have this idea in the Christian faith for some reason that money is evil. You know where they get that? They misquote a Bible verse. And what they do is they say this, doesn't the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? No, it doesn't say that. 
It says love of money is the root of all evil. Big difference. Not money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And so the thing is, it's talking about here, it's not saying that money is wrong or bad or anything wrong with money. It's just saying the love of money, the the thing where we focus our life on that is the root of evil. It means that we're to use our money to build relationships that will last for for eternity. It it means that you use your affluence for a good influence. It means that we don't simply hoard or stockpile or worship or love money, but we use money is a tool. That's all it's there for. It's a tool. It's not to be the thing, the end, the end of all of end of all things. In a sense, it means this. It means that we're to use temporary resources for permanent good. Just like the manager used the money, this is, this is the thing for us. Just like the manager used money that he made today to make friends for the future, because he knew the future was coming, and because the future was coming, he was going to lose his job, and because he was going to lose his job, he needed to have something set up for the future. He said, I want to use this to build some relationships now that will make a difference for me later. That was a selfish uh, thing he did. But the, the thing that we need to understand is God is telling us here in this story that we're to use our resources to build friends for eternity. Now, how do, you use, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you build friends for eternity? You use your resources to help people to come to know Jesus Christ. You know this little shoebox thing we did earlier, the little uh, video? You know, we think about that. Oh, that's cool, you know. I challenge you to go online and look at, listen to some of the testimonies from kids that, that got shoeboxes, something as simple as a shoebox in a third world country. And what happened to their lives, that was the key hinge point. Somebody spending, let's say, 20 bucks to fill up a shoebox. It's about what it cost, I think. I'm just throwing out. Does that sound right? Some of you ladies know what, what, I'm, what I'm talking about. None of those guys would. Just all the ladies know what I'm talking about. You know, it was about 20 bucks. You know, that's a pretty average. 20 bucks. We're going like, man, we, we don't even think 20 bucks is, you know, our kids, we just, they look, they laugh as if we only spent 20 bucks for them for Christmas. That's sad. But the reality is, 20 buck, 20 buck shoot box, some of those things has been the hinge point because of the generosity of somebody doing that. That's been the hinge point for them being, being uh, introduced to Jesus Christ. Because Samaritan's, uh, Samaritan's Purse is not simply about just giving kids gifts. It's about introducing kids to Christ, and the shoebox is just a way to do that, to give them something that, that they really, 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 really cherish. But then they ask, why do these people do this? Why do these strangers in this crazy land of America, with, they must have like so much money. They just give out shoeboxes. I forgot he said 10 million. Is that what he said this year? 10 million? You're going like, wow. That's a lot of generosity, but think about what it's going to mean for the future of 10 million kids and their families by just, just being generous. So, we're going to start giving out shoeboxes next week. We have 400. I hope we have to order 400 more because there's no reason that not anybody here couldn't do that to influence one kid for Christ. It's a powerful, it's a simple thing we can do, but it, it has to go beyond that. We need to use our resources in a way that will help reach people for eternity. That's just a very small way that's very easy. I'm just giving you an easy start here, Okay to do that. So, let me, let me just share a couple of things here before we wrap up. Uh, a couple of things about why did Jesus like, what did Jesus like about this dishonest manager that we can apply to our lives? He actually says some things. He, he, he says in a sense in the parable, he says the, uh, the, the manager, the, the, the owner uh, kind of said, hey God, good job. 
don't like what you did, but good job. It's kind of weird. This manager planned a, a dishonest scheme. He writes off one guy's debt by 50%, another by 20 and he did it without the owner's approval. <laughs> that was the dishonest part. He didn't ask approval. He, he said it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. That was his life motto. Why did he do this? Well, he said, because they'll think kindly of me when I'm unemployed. His plan was wrong, but he did three things right that we can take away from this that will help us in regard to how we look at money and how we manage our money. Number one, he looked ahead. He looked ahead. Verse three, he says, what am I going to do now? I'm about to lose my job. I don't know what I'm going to do, but what am I going to do now? He had a long-term, he began to have a long-term view. He's unlike Americans, which says, we have to have it now. You know, the, the reality is, do you know this? And I found this to be all so incredibly, I don't know what the word is, so incredibly descriptive of, of who we are. And it's disturbing, too. Do you know the average European saves 12% of their income? The average European in all the European countries, take their average, they sell, save 12% on average of their income. The average Japanese saves 25% of their income. Do you know how much the average American saves? Minus 1%. That's statistics last year, okay? Minus 1%. We spend more money than we save as a nation. Now, how does that work? We are not the federal government. We cannot print money. So there's a problem here. There's a problem here. It says he looked ahead. He's going like, I can't keep doing this. i got to look ahead. I love what it says in Proverbs 14, 8. The wise man looks ahead, but the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face the facts. The reality is you have to face the facts. And the facts are this. If you have no emergency fund, if, you have no, if you're not building into retirement, you are living beyond your means. And the fact is this, you're going like, well, I can't do that because I can't afford. Well, then, let me tell you something. You're living in a house you can't afford. You're buying cars you can't afford. If you can't do the things to look ahead, to plan ahead in your life, if you can't build margin into your life, and regardless, and I'm not saying you have to make a huge amount of money to do that. I've known people, my, my daughter and her husband, who are just getting out, starting off in the world, are trying to build their best to build margin into their life. My son, who just got laid off from a job, He's building margin in his life, too. He called me last week. He's already got a couple of an interview or two lined up. But the reality, he said, Dad, he said, I'm all right for two to three months. He just started. I'm going like, well, good for you. I was, I was telling him, I said, you know, I'm your parent, and if you need some money, let me know. And he's going, Dad, you know, I don't want to do that. I said, don't be too proud. He said, well, it's not about pride. He said, that's what you taught me. He got it. I'm going, well, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> See, if we can't do those things, if you can't look ahead, if you can't plan ahead, if you can't put stuff aside, you are living a lifestyle that's too expensive because you need to downsize so you can do those things. Dave Ramsey, 101. <laughs> I mean, I drive a 10-year-old car. It's got 157,000, I think it's got 150, it's got 150-some-thousand miles on it. My wife drives a 10-year-old car. It's got... 130,000, 140,000 miles on it. You know why we drive those cars? Because they work. I don't drive them to be cool. 
okay? A 2006 Taurus is not cool. If you drive one, you're not cool. You're just like me. But I haven't had a car payment. I don't remember the last time I had a car payment. It's been years, years and years and years. So the deal is, he looked ahead. That's one thing he can learn. Number two, he made a plan. Verse four. He said, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Then he says, no, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. He made a plan. Do you have a plan in place to do the things you need to do with the money in your life? I know this is a dirty word, but I'll use it anyway. Do you have a budget? Nobody likes budgets. I hate budgets. I'll just be honest with you. I don't like budgets either. But, I, but we budget, we, we, we sit, sit aside money, we, we, we track our money, we know where we're spending our money. See, budgeting is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it's gone. That's what budgeting is. Song will say about that. He made a plan. Proverbs 16, 9 says he sh- he, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. And then finally, the thing I see in here that he did that God, the, the master kind of uh, said, was he acted quickly, verses 5 and 6. Now, I'm not going to read all this, but this is the thing where he acted. He, he said, I know what I'm going to do, and then he goes and does it. He goes and meets with the creditors, and he you know, does his whole deal, and, 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 he, and, he, and he makes a plan. So often we simply do this. We'll come here and go like, that Pastor Bill, that was great. You know, I think that was fantastic. We say, I'm gonna, someday I'm going to get my finances in order. Wrong. Someday is not the day to do it. Today is the day to do it. you got to act quickly because if you wait for someday, someday will not happen. You know it. And I know it. you got to act quickly. See, this is what Jesus commends. Take the long view for the best use of money. It's the opposite of what our culture says, and he, which says spend it now. Fourth and final big point. The fourth truth to remember is this. God is using money to test me. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's what he does. Because, see, God does not trust spiritual power, real power, to just anybody. It says that in Scripture time and time and time again. The reality is this. This life is preparation for eternity. We think this life is all, we live like this life is all there is. And I've said this before, and you know that you know this is a fact. If you believe that, this, that God is real, that heaven is real, that there is an eternity. If you believe in any of those things, the reality is this, that, that God is, this is just a, a blip on the radar, our life. I mean, we're here. That's us. That's our whole life. If we live, say, a hundred And then you take a line and draw it as far as you can draw it, and that's eternity. This is not much, (laughs) but we act like it's all there is. The thing is, this life is preparation for that. And he tests our faithfulness because he wants to to trust us. See, in God's favorite tool to test you is finances. It's very tangible. It's not one of those things that you kind of like gray areas. It's very tangible. Luke 16.10 says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. God is saying, if I'm faithful with little, God can trust me with more. It's a test. It's a test. There's a direct connection between maturity and money. And let me, let me just say this as we close. What does it test? What does it test? If it's a test, what does it test? Three things. Number one, it shows what I love the most. It shows what I love the most. Money is a test. It shows what I love the most. I love what it says in Matthew 6. It says this, Don't store up treasure here on earth. 
Instead, store up your treasure in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. It's saying that whatever you spend your resources on and spend your time on doing, that is what is really where your heart is. That's what you really love. It shows what I love the most. And God deserves and insists on first place in your life, not just one of many. Number two, it shows, not only does it show what I love as a test, it shows what I trust. It shows what I trust. It's the acid test of your faith. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, trust in your money and down you go. I love what it says. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. I had so many people that have told me this at different times in a counseling office or different places. You know, my life is stuck at dead center. I, I really have spiritual blahs. Uh, I'm not growing, I have no power in my life, or my life is like a spiritual roller coaster. It's no, I can't seem to get momentum. I go up a hill and down a hill, and up, I'm all over the place. My advice to you in regards to how to check on where you are is to look at your checkbook. Look at your checkbook. If you're not, if, 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 you were, if your life is out of control in regard to your spending, or your calendar in regard to how you spend your time, it reveals your priorities. And if they're not in line with God's truths, that's why you have the spiritual blots. That's why your life is stuck at dead center spiritually. And finally, the other test it does, it shows if God can trust me. Not only does it show what I trust, but it shows if God can trust me. Now let me say this. Out-of-control finances, out-of-control finances reveal an out-of-control life. It's a litmus test for that. Out-of-control finances are a litmus test of an out-of-control life. Luke 11, uh, 16, 11 says this. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you will, who will trust you with true riches? God is saying money is a tangible thing that if you do not get it in order, it, will, it could destroy your life. and It could lead you in a path you don't want to go. God wants to transform us spiritually, physically, Mentally, emotionally, relationally, yes, even financially. And that transformation will make the difference in your life of how you live your life day to day in regard to your stress levels, in regard to the direction of your life, and everything you do. And money is a solid evaluation that God uses to do that. So, we're going to close this morning. And I, in doing so, what I'm going to do is we're going to close. We're not going to have any more songs. So we're just going to pray together, and then we're going to go home and, and do our thing there. And... I pray this week that God will just use you and, 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 and make you think about these things some more. So right now, I'd just ask you to bow your heads. And uh, let, let's do some honest self-evaluation right now. Let's do some honest self-evaluation. Let me ask this question. Does God really have first place in my life? Ask yourself that question. Does God really have first place in my life? If I were to open up my checkbook and my calendar, would it show that God is a priority? in my life can God trust me with what he's allowed me to have can God trust me what kind of track record do I have in regard to using resources have I used them all for me and nothing for anybody else or can God trust me with what he's allowed to ha- for me to have 
And if we're sitting in this room, those of us who think we don't have much, if you came this morning, you probably came from a place, a house, that you had shelter over your head, you probably had stuff to eat, you probably opened a closet and had multiple options about what you could put on. You probably did all those things. You're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And God has entrusted you with a lot. Does, does the way I'm using my, let me ask this other question, does the way I'm using my money show God that I can be trusted with more? With more. Because that's what it says in Scripture. He says, part of the deal is how you, not just more money, more, more responsibility, more, more direction, more spiritual influence in your life. And finally, what or how much am I investing for eternity and who will be in heaven because of me? Are you doing things to influence others? For Christ, are you taking your wealth, your resources, and using it to influence others toward him? God, I just pray this morning that you would just, in a real way, just uh, help us to, to understand that while you want to transform us spiritually and physically and mentally, emotionally and relationally, that you also want to transform us financially. Because, God, you talk about it so much in your word not because that's the main thing you want to talk about, but because you understand, God, since you are God, what an influence money and resources have in our world. And how often, God, that greed and other, other things that are not part of your plan influence our lives, God, and influence our decisions. Influence our happiness, influence our, our relationships, all the things that we've talked about already. Guide us now, God, that we would just, once again, understand that it all comes from you. That we are going to give an account one day. And you call us, God, to use, uh, use uh, your, your money in such a way uh, that we would uh, build eternal uh, people that are friends for eternity. And that, God, we would pass the test in regard to how we approach our resources. Thank you, God, for how you entrust us with these. And help us, God, to continually, continually, as individuals and as a church, to do the things that would honor and please you in all these areas. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you guys have a great week. See you next week for the close of this series. We'll be talking about your job.